tuning in to episode 210 of The Virtual Couch. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is trying to put pornography behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based, hold the shame, become the person you always wanted to be way, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com and there you will find a, a very short ebook uh, entitled Something to the Effect of Five Common Mistakes That People Make When Trying to Put Pornography Behind Them Once and For All. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And my free parenting course, Parenting Positively, even during the not so positive of times, is still, uh, well, free. So just head to tonyoverbay.com slash courses and you will find it there. A couple of other very quick items of business. Um, I, today I'm recording this on a, on a, on a beautiful Tuesday morning in Northern California. And yesterday on Monday, an interview I did with Sean Rapier on his Latter Day Lives podcast is, was aired. And it is very, uh, it's very fascinating to be interviewed and be in the hot seat and, uh, just have to tell stories about growing up and all of those sort of things. And I still try to turn it back around and, uh, an interview or do virtual therapy on Sean. He wasn't aware at the time, but he fell prey. So if there's, I don't know if you want to hear more, it even sounds, it sounds silly saying, Hey, if you want to hear more about my story, uh, go over to Sean Rapier's Latter-day Lives interview, his podcast. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Maybe a link there. That was a lot of fun. And I did a, a lot of, I uh, did a couple of other podcasts this week that are coming up soon. And I'll kind of keep you aware of that. Doing a whole website, um, upgrade that's going to make it easier to find a lot of content, not only my own, but when I've been a guest on some other shows and that sort of thing, which also leads me to, I've alluded for a long time to go to TonyOverbay.com and sign up there to find out more about all kinds of exciting new things. And uh, one of those exciting new things is getting very, very close to a reality. I've teamed up with uh, with my business coach. He's a, he's a, a motivational speaker. Um, his name is Preston Pugmire. And we are about to launch a marriage course. And honestly, it's it's incredible. I've wanted to do something like this for a long, long time. And I will be talking plenty about this in the next few weeks as we gear up toward the launch, um, revealing the name and where you can find out more information. But right now, just go to TonyOverbay.com and just sign up there on my email list to find out more. Or if you go um, like or follow Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist on Facebook or follow me on Instagram at Virtual Couch. You will find out more information as it becomes available. But it, it truly is going to be incredible. He has really pushed me hard. I wanted him to, to be able to really put a lot of these uh, concepts of emotionally focused therapy, EFT, this couples model that I love in very tangible, what do I do next? How do I implement this ways? So again, so much more. You're going to hear about that in the next few weeks, but I can't wait. We've, uh, we've spent a whole lot of time these last few weeks putting this together. And I really feel like we've kind of cracked the code, so to speak, on how to communicate more effectively with your partner, along with exercises on how to. And I wasn't even planning on talking about it today, but you can tell that I'm very excited. And uh, very quick, if you have a second and you can subscribe or, or rate or review the podcast, that helps a lot. That's, again, there's a, an odd algorithm. It's a, it's a mystery of how people find out more about podcasts, but I know that is one of the ways. And with that said, just a quick review that I received this week from someone named Polly Pocket. 
which I love that because my kids had Polly Pockets. And it's one of those things that we saved and hung on to, hoping that for some reason they would become collectibles. But I don't think that's the case. So I might need to get rid of them or I guess save them for my grandkids or something like that. But uh, this person said, I love this podcast with all capitals and love. It's the first podcast I ever listened to, which is really an honor when I hear that. Tony is interesting. He's captivating and informative. And uh, when I listen to his podcast, I love that he's real and he doesn't hide it. You don't ever feel bored learning. So thank you very much, Polly Pocket. And uh, please, if you have a second, again, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. All right, let's get to today's topic. This one is fascinating. And oftentimes my wife, and I love this, she will just text me news articles that she sees throughout the day and will just say, hey, this might make an interesting podcast. And this is one that has been on my mind for quite a while because it has to do with clutter. And I will be so upfront and honest that I am not the person that this, well, no, I'm the person that this article has been targeted or is intended for because I do find a lot of mental clutter when I am surrounded by clutter. But then even if I'm looking at my desk right now as I'm recording, there's clutter. There's a, there's a lot of clutter. And I will find myself often even in therapy looking around my office and thinking, man, I wonder if people just kind of step back and take a look if they would just wonder, what's uh, what's Tony's deal? I mean, if, if I just take a, a glance around right now, my desk with all my podcast equipment, I've got books on here. I've got a whole bunch of sticky notes. I've got some uh, uncashed checks and water and keys and a phone and all kinds of things. And looking around my room, I've gone through a candle phase. I'm now defusing essential oils to make my office smell good. I'm using fig, by the way, right now, which I didn't even know what a fig smelled like, but it's, it's, it's lovely. I really enjoy it. But all around my office, I do feel like one could say there's clutter. So I think I need to have someone come in and declutter my office. But I know that clutter, I hear it often brought up, and it's one of those topics that people even in marriage can have really difficult conversations around because someone might have grown up in a house of order, we'll just say that, and someone might have grown up in not as much of a house of order. And so they both have different experiences when they are interacting with or are around clutter. And I'm not talking hoarders kind of clutter, although if that's a, a, an issue, I'm sure that it would be even more exacerbated as what we're going to talk about today. And uh, And honestly, if you've never watched a hoarders episode, um, they just, a season, a new season was uploaded on Netflix recently. And it is, that is, that is my just, um, kid in a candy store. If I just sit there and watch an episode of hoarders, because the psychological component is fascinating. And then just to see how people get to where they are is it'll kind of blow your mind to see that. Um, but the article that I'm, I'm going to pull from today and I actually go with a couple of them is one that, that my wife had sent me. It's, uh, by Aaron Cullum. And it's titled, A Cluttered House is a Cluttered Mind. So I try really hard to stay organized. And uh, and I don't really know of Aaron's background or credentials, but Aaron did a nice job putting this article together. But then it refers to a another article that I'm going to jump to by a clinical psychologist. And, it, and she also referred to a study that was a really in-depth study that is on words and how you describe the clutter in your home. So I'm going to talk about that as well. And I am going to tell a couple of stories that I have never told before that I'm very excited to talk about where it uh, puts me not in the role of hero, but a bit in the role of 
the unaware husband. So Erin starts the article by saying that she didn't always realize clutter has a direct effect on her mood. Uh, She said the daily grind of getting ready in the morning, unwinding after a long day at work, usually ends in dropping bags at the door, uh, jumping into some comfy clothes, shedding any stress, seeing what's for dinner, taking time to relax. But she said for her, the sigh of relief since the calm isn't possible without a clean, tidy home. If the countertops aren't clear, she says neither is her mind. Piles of paper, probably unnecessary mail, cringe. And she says, uh, and I've heard this one many times, hoarders is a horror show. So she talked about this correlation or identifying a correlation between what her apartment looks like and how she feels physically and mentally. And she said that uh, when you reduce that clutter in in her home, that it really has made a difference in her day to day. So she says she tries to make a conscious effort in trying to clean while she goes or gets dishes done as soon as she can, keep shoes out of the doorway, avoids the, what I love is the clothes chair in her bedroom. Um, That might also be the treadmill or the Stairmaster or the weight bench. Uh, I I know I've had a few of those in my day, Um, but she says she tries to put things back after she uses it and avoids accumulating clutter in the first place, striving to create a minimalist space and all of those wonderful things. And so I'm skipping a little bit of that because I think that there are people that are listening right now that either think, well, yeah, that's what you do. You put things away after you use them and you pick up along the way and everything has a place. And I forget what that phrase is. Uh, My father-in-law used to say it. There's a place for everything and everything in its place. And so there are people that that just comes so naturally. But when you interact with other human beings, especially those of the tiny variety, that isn't always as easily uh, easily done as one wants. So she said she recognizes not everybody feels this way about clutter. And she talks about a boyfriend of hers who wouldn't bat an eye at things strewn across the counter. But so here we jump into one of the articles that we're going to talk about today. She said in Psychology Today, Doctor of Psychology Sherry Borg Carter writes, Clutter bombards our minds with excessive stimuli, causing our senses to work overtime on stimuli that aren't necessary or important, that clutter distracts us by drawing our attention away from what our focus should be on. So simply put, uh, mess equals stress. So I really like how simplistically Dr. Carter writes that clutter bombards our mind with excessive stimuli. And and I'll admit, I hadn't necessarily thought of that. I mean, if you go back and look at Charles Duhigg's The Power of Habit, that book, he has some pretty fascinating data of even looking at CEOs in the workplace and how their, their I like to call it, their brain sponge can be full by the end of the day and their people can get to the point where they just can't make additional decisions. And so I feel like there's a correlation here that as clutter bombards our minds with excessive stimuli, causing our senses to work overtime, I'm sure that that causes some mental fatigue or exhaustion along the way. So the more that we don't have to deal with this extensive or excessive stimuli, the more chance we are going to have to be able to be present and be there for our partner or our kids or to be able to show up a little bit more and not feel just overwhelmed. So the first story that I want to tell is a story of when uh, when when we had little kids, when Wendy and I had little kids and we've been married, um, know, we're getting close to 30 years. My youngest is 16. So I've got 16, 18, 20 and 22. So this was many, many moons ago. I believe we maybe had one or two little kids at the time. And uh, Wendy said a couple of things at one point uh, that had changed my view that day that I've carried with me, I've used in sessions, and and you name it, um, that as – and let me kind of set the stage. 
So we had a toy room in the house and, uh, and you know, I'm pretty sure it was when we had two little girls. I want to say that it was three and one or four and two, my, my oldest two daughters. And we had every toy known to man as I think a lot of new parents would do the kitchens and Barbie, the princesses and dollhouses and, and little cars and, and everything. We had everything. And we would try to put all of these things in this toy room and the toy room would just be a disaster. And I remember how often we would clean the toy room. And I remember feeling kind of like, well, what's the point? Because the, the, the girls are just going to go in the next morning and just just mess up the toy room again. So wouldn't it just be smarter to keep the toy room in complete disarray? And and my wife disagreed. And I wouldn't give it a lot of thought at that time. I'm uh, working in the computer software industry. I go off to work, I come home, and uh, and I can tell at times that she's pretty frazzled. The toy room might be a bit of a mess. And again, I would assume that, well, then we should just leave it because it's a lot of work to do. But she really wanted to clean up the toy room at the end of the day. And that would kind of extend out into the family room and, and other areas of the house of where she really wanted to just, at the end of the day, I used to say, and this is probably a negative at the time, the way I would say it, that we wanted the house to look a bit like a model home when at the end of the evening. And uh, and again, I wish I had my therapist skills back in the day. I've apologized to her, I think, so many times because of this, and I was taught valuable lessons. But I remember one time just saying, hey, tell me why it's important for you to clean up the toy room at the end of the day, clean up the house at the end of the day, have things off of the counters when it's just going to get messed up the next day. And that was when she let me know that uh, she said as a stay-at-home mom, she kind of felt like to a certain point how the home looked was a bit of a reflection on her. So that when people stop by, for example, and we live next door to her sister, and so there were people in, in, in our neighborhood at that time, I think that there were five or six stay-at-home moms and 30-something kids under the age of 10. And so people were kind of going in and out of each other's homes. So when people stopped by, she just felt like if the house had a semblance of order, that it was easy for her to feel comfortable welcoming people in. And and this is a deep marriage therapy principle that it was not my job to try and, and uh, dispute her view of reality. You know, I, I was the, I mean, even if I wasn't going off to work every day and not being in the home, who am I to say, well, you shouldn't think that way or you shouldn't care. You just need to, you know, all those unproductive things that we find ourselves saying when instead of saying, hey, tell me about what this experience is like for you. So she liked that feeling there's a semblance of order. But she also shared that at the end of the night, and I love this one, she felt like having the house picked up or in order helped her relax and allowed her to be able to turn off her brain a little easier and be able to go to sleep. And so to this day, cleaning up the kitchen, picking things up off the floors, the counters, loading the dishwasher, um, even putting the pillows back on the couch, finding the remote controls, which can be just a, a tedious and, and nightmare of a task, uh, taking the dogs out to go potty, you name it, has become a nightly routine that we do together while talking about whatever topic comes to mind. And while I truly didn't find that not doing it some 15 years ago bothered me um, for so many years, I just have in doing so that uh, it's a way for me to show that I can be there for my wife, who I care about. That's my person. Or, you know, it's all I needed to know. And so now I've grown to really appreciate it, not only as a time that we can connect, but there are also times where she'll have other things going on. And I know, hey, this is something I can do for her to show her that I care or that I love her. And uh, and I've also grown to really appreciate it. Um, kind of a quick, I was thinking about this too, a global pandemic note. Often when I come down to go on an early morning run or get to the office before the crack of dawn, it is kind of funny now because I'm met with dishes out or the top ramen package on the counter as my older kids, again, youngest is 16. And I think I have my 16 and 18 and 20 year old are in the home right now. 
Um, they're keeping some pretty odd hours. So that is something that uh, we could clean it at 11 at night. And then maybe at two or three, there's still these uh, uh, kitchen elves or kitchen fairies that are messing things up. So it's so much easier to kind of clean that up really quick because of having it clean the night before. But again, I am not some person that that grew up wanting or expecting this order, but I've come to really appreciate it. And that's why I like this article where uh, Dr. Carter talks about this excessive visual stimuli that removing that really can help feel a sense of calm or peace. And, uh, and I'll, and I know that it lowers the cortisol levels or the stress hormone levels. And, uh, and speaking of dishes, you know, I'm going to save that story. And I hope I remember to get back to it. Dishes in the laundry. I want to say, remind me of those. Let's put a pin in those. So, um, there's a the, there's authors there's a study and this is one that uh, Aaron Cullum the original um, article that I'm referring to she references uh, the authors of a study called No Place Like Home how home tours correlate with daily patterns of mood and cortisol published in the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin noted the way people even describe their homes may reflect whether their time at home feels restorative or stressful. So I did go dig up that uh, that study out of the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin. Home tours correlate with daily patterns of mood and cortisol. And this thing is fascinating. And I won't go into too much detail here. I could put a link to this in the show notes as well. But I'll just read the abstract of this uh, this review, this study. The abstract is that the way people describe their homes may reflect whether their time at home feels restorative or stressful. And, uh, and I think this is fascinating. Are you going home and feeling like it is a restorative process or are you going home and feeling like it is a stressful process? So this article uses linguistic analysis software, so linguistic inquiry and word count, to analyze 60 dual income spouses' self-guided home tours by calculating the frequency of words that describe clutter, uh, a sense of the home as unfinished, uh, restful words, and nature words. So based on a principal component analysis, the former two categories were combined into a variable uh, of a stressful home and the latter two into a restorative home. So over three weekdays following these home tours where people were describing their homes, wives with higher stressful home scores had, here, here's the fun part, had flatter diurnal slopes of cortisol, which happens to be a profile associated with adverse health outcomes. So people that took these home tours and described their homes as not being restorative or as being more as stressful, they had these flatter diurnal slopes of cortisol. So that, that means that they had more, more stress in their lives. And they felt that in describing their home. Their home was full of clutter. Whereas women with higher restorative home scores had steeper cortisol slopes. So these results held after controlling for marital satisfaction and neuroticism uh, that women with higher stressful home scores had increased depressed mood over the course of the day, whereas women with higher restorative home scores had decreased depressed mood over the day. So that was this longitudinal, very nerdy sounding study that basically says when people feel like there is clutter in the home, that it can lead to more of a depressed mood over the course of the day. And women who felt like the home was more of a restorative place um, had decreased depressed mood over the day. So uh, back to the article by Erin Cullum, she says, I know what it's like to feel stressed out, feel like this ug instead of a welcoming ah when thinking about going home. And she said it was especially true when she lived in a, st- a small San Francisco studio apartment. So um, 
let me kind of refer now to this article that she had referred to. And this is by Sherry Borg Carter, who has her doctorate in psychology. This is off of Psychology Today. And it says, why mess causes stress? Eight reasons and eight remedies. So uh, Dr. Carter then does go on to say clutter plays a significant role in how we feel about our homes and our workplaces and even ourselves, uh, that messy homes and workspaces, they do, they leave us feeling anxious, which somewhat can feel helpless and overwhelmed. And But yet rarely is clutter recognized as a significant source of stress in our lives. So she goes over eight reasons of why mess leads to stress. So this is the one that uh, was quoted in that previous article by Aaron Cullum. Clutter bombards our minds with excessive, excessive stimuli. So visual, olfactory, tactile. So uh, various um, stimuli that, uh, that can become a bit overwhelming. So this causes our senses to work overtime on stimuli that isn't important or necessary. The second thing that she references is clutter distracts us by drawing our attention away from what our focus should be on. And I, and I think that's a pretty interesting one. Just uh, just give yourself a little awareness exercise today and just notice. Just notice when you might be distracted by a pile of something or by just something that you you remember that you maybe needed to do that had to do in the realm of cleaning the house or um, becoming more organized. Uh, third, she says, clutter makes it more difficult to relax both physically and mentally. Fourth, clutter constantly signals to our brain that our work is never done. That one, that one spoke to me. That one resonated with me because I feel like I often think I just need to clean my desk. I just need to clean this particular corner of the office. Um, I need to clean my side of the bed. I need to clean my side of the bathroom. Those things that you can just tend to see have a little more clutter. The fifth uh, uh, thing she references, clutter makes us anxious because we're never sure what it's going to take to get through to the bottom of the pile. And man, that one's true. I have a hidden pile of stuff in my office and it continues to grow. And I have told myself many times that I need to take an hour and go through it. But if after I read that uh, number five here, that uh, I'm never quite sure what it's going to take to get through to the bottom of the pile, I really felt that one because I, I feel now like even my brain has said, oh, I just need to set aside a couple of hours. And then even then I feel like yeah, it's probably going to be a little bit longer than that. So there is this just great unknown. And, and if you've had the experience before where maybe once I jump into cleaning this, this pile that I have, that it may not take as long. I mean, I really am kind of hoping that would be the case, but I understand this great unknown does cause a little bit of uh, mental stress. Number six, clutter creates feelings of guilt that I should be more organized. I can check that box as well. And embarrassment, especially when others unexpectedly drop by our homes or workspaces. So this secret pile that is in my office is not um, in plain sight of my clients. But every now and again, I'll have a client in my office and I maybe run to the restroom. And if they stand up and they're going over to look at my bookshelf, which I'm looking at right now, you can often see then where this secret stash of things are. And it is embarrassing. Um, and so I, I feel that one, that, that clutter can create feelings of guilt and embarrassment. Uh, number seven, clutter inhibits creativity and productivity by invading the open spaces that allow most people to think, brainstorm, and problem solve. And so I think that just has a little bit of that, uh, what I, I think of as clutter creep, where it creeps into all kinds of areas in uh, visually, spatially. And that, again, I think that that just kind of taxes our brains. And finally, she said that clutter frustrates us by preventing us from locating what we need quickly. Um, example, files and paperwork lost in the pile or keys swallowed up by the clutter. I am one of those who likes to think that I know fairly uh, well what is in my pile of stuff. But if I'm being very honest, vulnerable, 
and authentic, then there are plenty of times where I have looked through my pile of stuff thinking I would find something and not finding what I thought had been there the entire time. So uh, Dr. Carter says, fortunately, unlike more other commonly recognized sources of stress, like our jobs or our relationships, clutter is one of the easiest life stressors to fix. Okay, feel a little bit of hope there, right? That's a kind of a positive statement. She said, if clutter has invaded your entire house, don't tackle the job alone. Get the whole family involved by starting with one room. Everybody uses and making each person responsible for a section. If you're on your own, start with one area at a time and finish decluttering that area before moving on to another. This will give you a sense of accomplishment as you will see your success little by little. And I think there's a whole podcast that could be done there in the little by little. If we really look at the way habits are formed, if we look at the way the brain works, we we often want these big home runs, these massive turnarounds and changes. And we will even hear those stories in the media or on TV or movies are made about these dramatic 180 swings and uh, attitude and behavior. But the truth is we just make a little bit of progress. And we need to just be patient with the process. So we we need to view our accomplishment by little by little success. Uh, number two, create designated spaces for frequently used items and supplies. You can quickly and easily find what you're looking for when you need it. However, try to make these designated spaces closed spaces. I really like this one because I have one of these drawers in the kitchen. Um, she said uh, closed spaces such as drawers and cabinets. Storing things on open shelves or on top of your desk does not remove those visual stimuli that create stress and lessen the amount of open space that your mind sees. So it's okay to have that drawer. I was going to say junk drawer, but let's just say it's a drawer of treasures. Um, that's uh, what I'm going to call my, my drawer now. Um, this is a good one. Number three, if you don't use it, don't want it, or don't need it, get rid of it. You can toss it, recycle it, or donate it. And she, uh, I love it. She says, one person's trash is another person's treasure. I have a friend of mine who says often that I bought it and now I'm just holding it, waiting for the person who actually needs it. And honestly, reframing that way can be amazing. So she says, but don't, don't keep it. If you're, uh, if you're not using it, if you don't want it or you don't need it, um, don't keep it. If you use it, but only rarely store it in a box in the garage or if it's in your office in a high or low place to leave easy access space for things that you use more often. And I really like this one. Put a date on the box with rare exceptions. If you haven't opened the box in a year, whatever is inside is probably not something you need. And I've heard some really clever ways to do this with clothing. Um, uh, one that I have tried a time or two is turning things that I haven't worn to turn in the hanger on the other side. So it's, uh, it's kind of going opposite of how you would normally take it off of the, the rack or whatever that would be called. And, and if it is still turned that way, uh, for a long time, then you can probably get rid of that. You know, if, you, if that means you haven't worn something like that in a long time. Number four, when you take something out of its designated place to use it, put it back immediately after you're finished with it. And I love how she said that. Sounds simple, but it actually takes practice and commitment. I am very bad at that one. Uh, that uh, I'll just usually set things down and so that I can put them away later. And then later doesn't uh, doesn't often come. Create a pending folder. This is one that I am going to do to begin today. A pending folder helps you clear off your workspace while at the same time provides you with a readily accessible folder to centralize and easily locate pending projects. And I think this is what I need to do um, with uh, with mail or with I don't know, letters that I need to get back to or those sort of things. Number six, don't let papers pile up. Random papers strewn everywhere can be public enemy number one when it comes to stressful clutter. We're inundated by mail and flyers and menus, memos, newspapers, and the like. And the key is to be conscious of what you bring and what others bring into your spaces. And this one, oh, this is hard for me. 
It is so difficult for me. Go through papers as soon as you can, tossing what you don't need and storing what's necessary in its proper place. I I am horrible about just piling up mail to the point where then it does seem a bit of an insurmountable task. And I find that just if I can just open it and deal with it when I get it, um, it's so powerful. And often my wife, bless her heart, will kind of just gently bring awareness to the ginormous pile of mail that might be sitting um, in a certain area of our house. And, uh, and when I, when I tackle it, I feel awesome and amazing. And I can't lie. There have been a few times where I have found things that, that, uh, that I've then owed a little more on a late fee, things like that, because it's, I didn't open it. I have to own it. It's on me. It's okay. Um, what can you do? You open it, you move forward and you try to learn from that experience. Number seven, declutter your primary workspace before you leave it. It's normal to pull things out while you're working in a space, but make a habit of cleaning off your workspace before you go. Not only will this give you a sense of closure when you leave, but it also makes you feel good when you return to a nice, clean space. And uh, that kind of goes along with that story that I talked about earlier in uh, in our home. And number eight, this one, um, uh, bless her heart, Dr. Carter, uh, make it fun, she says. As you're going about and cleaning things out, to put some on, put, put your favorite tunes on, and the more upbeat, the better. Not only will you enjoy the tunes, the time will pass faster, and you'll probably work faster than you would without the music. That one is a bit of a challenge for me of making cleaning and decluttering fun. So if you're able to do that, more power to you. Bless your heart. I may try that, but I can't uh, count on just some some uh, some happy tunes are going to make me feel um, excited to uh, to clean and declutter. So I, I love that she addresses this. She says, finally, clutter doesn't only ap- apply to our physical environment. Mental clutter can be just as stressful, if not more stressful, than physical clutter. And boy, can I speak to this. Although there is an entire article, she said, at least of suggestions about mental decluttering. One of the most basic and useful tips that she offers on mental decluttering is to focus on one project at a time without distractions. Uh, Distractions being things like cell phones and emails and other electronic gadgets. And she says you'll be amazed at how much more you can accomplish when you focus on a project without allowing anything else to get in the way. And uh, she says, well, I realize and recognize it's hard to accomplish in this day and age. It's doable. And she says that she thinks that we will agree it is well worth the effort. Dr. Carter, you are absolutely correct. It is definitely worth the effort. As, uh, as you know, a lot of times my uh, ADHD inattentive type, formerly known as ADD, can sure get in the way when there are tasks that I, I truly want to focus on. Um, I promised talking about two other concepts, the dishes and the laundry. Um, I am going to, I've, I've long joked on doing an entire podcast on parenting and dishes and marriage and laundry. So let me just try to do this off the cuff and uh, hopefully it, it won't kind of go south. And if it does, then I will have already deleted it and edited it and you'll never hear this part and won't even know that you didn't hear it. So let's, let's, let's go to laundry first. So often I, I have, uh, let's just say it's a, it is a, let's say it's a stay at home mom and a dad and he's off slaying the dragon and uh, at, at work and that sort of thing comes home. Hey, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And, uh, and I will hear complaints in my office often that, and laundry isn't done and that sort of thing. And so it is such a simple um, solution for this. And that is my, my wife is amazing. She, uh, she's very intentional about two days a week that are laundry days. And, uh, and I, I really enjoy if I get home and it's later and we've just cleaned up the house as kind of mentioned. And, uh, then we just like to dump the laundry out on the bed that needs to be folded and I help and we fold and we talk and it's amazing. And I love being able to be there for her. Um, and, uh, and you know, when people do the whole, well, I've worked and she needs to do it. Um, man, what's the goal? Is the goal to have this perfect equity in responsibilities or is the goal to have a productive marriage? You know, is the goal to have a, just this magnetic marriage, this, um, this 
you know, what's your goal? And, and that's where I love it. If the goal is a, a magnetic marriage, a connected marriage, then the, yeah, but things aren't equal, exactly fair. Who cares? It becomes a, a story my brain's trying to hook me to, you know, this path of least resistance. My brain's trying to say, well, yeah, but it's not fair. It's, it's gotten to the point where I, I don't care. I would rather have the relationship with my wife and I have learned to fold the heck out of some laundry. Um, I'm not good at matching socks. Uh, I have to constantly be reminded of how many folds a beach towel has versus a bath towel, but it's okay. I'm trying. And I just want to, to be there as much as I can for my wife. And I really appreciate that. So that one's the one on laundry. What's your goal? Is your goal uh, complete equity or, you know, well, she should do this because I do this. Or is your goal the relationship? Are you both turning toward each other and trying to help each other uh, get through life because there's a, a lot going on in people's lives. And that is the goal of a, of a connected marriage of magnetic marriage is to have this, this just dyadic union as Sue Johnson, founder of EFT talks about where you can go out and you can fight the battles and storms of the day and know you've got this safe haven where you can return and process the events of the day. You can talk to your partner about anything and, uh, and they'll know, they'll know that, uh, that, that they're there for you. They want to hear what, what's going on for you. They want to be there for you. They want to show up how the, how, how, how you, how you want them to show up and you want to do the same for them. So there's laundry, the dishes. The reason I said dishes and parenting is, and I'm not, I'm not joking about this. I, I have spent probably dozens, if not a hundred or more hours in therapy talking about people and parenting and the dishes. So if your goal is to have the dishes done perfectly every evening, then I highly suggest that either you maybe think about having that be your responsibility, or I don't know if uh, you could hire somebody to do the dishes on a daily basis. And I'm sounding a bit a bit mean maybe right now, because I know that a lot of parents are going to say right now, yeah, but they need to learn responsibility, and they need to learn, uh, have a work ethic and those sort of things. And I am not disagreeing at all. As a matter of fact, please go take my parenting course, the positive parenting, even in the not so positive of times, the parenting technique that I love. It's an evidence-based model and it's called the nurtured heart approach. The nurtured heart approach, your job is to build inner wealth. Your job is not to be the punisher. Your role is not to be the enforcer. If you say to your kid at any point in your life, hey champ, you can come talk to me about anything. And then you're going to get just all over them about the laundry or about the chore chart or that sort of thing then you you truly are taking on the role of the punisher. And uh, and so if you have chores and, and dishes and all those sort of things are part of chores, um, then I believe as parents, that's those are opportunities for us to express unconditional love and to to really hear our kids. You know, if it's uh, if their job is to do the dishes every night and they haven't done them instead of going in guns blaring and saying, why, why are you doing this? Like, look at all that I've done for you. And, uh, and this is all I ask of you. That is not going to set anybody up for success. Um, Hey, uh, you know, I see you're sitting over there, you know, how's your day? Tell me what's going on. And, and, and oh, it's busy or, you know, they've had a, a rough day at school or work or whatever. First of all, don't respond back with a, well, you think that's hard. Try working, you know, 40 hours or whatever it is. Cause that's not going to make the kid go, Oh man, you're right. Let me come do those dishes, dad. But instead, you know, they want to be heard. It's like, hey, thanks for sharing that. And even it's a, hey, I'm going to take care of these. Uh, I know the dishes are your job. Um, I'm going to take care of them because it sounds like you've had a you've had a day. Um, if you want to help, you can. But if not, I, I hear you. And I know I just made it sound so overly simplistic because right now there might be some patterns, some kind of dug in negative patterns between, let's say, a kid and a parent. But uh, but in the long run. 
you know, that is going to build this inner wealth or kind of nurture a good relationship. So again, if your goal is to have the dishes done perfectly every evening, then, then, then you can still throw the, the, the guilt or the shame, the kid or that sort of thing. If your goal is to have a relationship or to show your kid that, Hey, I'm here, then I might suggest listening to that parenting course I did. And, and you can come up with, you know, some consequences or that sort of thing. If, if, if these jobs aren't done, but I would say before laying that hammer down, the seek first to understand and, and show them that, Hey, this can be a time where we could do this together. Or if you are overwhelmed, son or daughter, then I got your back and I'll take care of this. And, uh, and often I feel like that is the way where your, your son or daughter is going to then see that you care about them. And, uh, and that's when you're going to see them typically get off the couch at some point and, and go to help you. Um, and so, but I feel like a parent is almost afraid to kind of make that move or that commitment to say, Hey, I got this. It looks like you've had a rough day and fear of that their kid is going to walk all over them. So again, I've oversimplified a very, uh, intentional, um, parenting technique that I believe needs to be in place. Go check out my parenting course. Um, it's based off of the nurtured heart approach, but I, those two things, dishes and laundry. If your goal is to have the dishes done, uh, then, you know, you're, you're going to probably upset, uh, the relationship that you're trying to have with your kids or your teenager. If your goal is to have the laundry or a complete equity in the home, then, uh, then yeah, sure. Then, uh, you can double down on, well, I'm, I refuse to do the laundry. And uh, I don't know, I, I'm going to say, look at what you're going to get from that. It's not going to be a connected marriage or, or that sort of thing. Those are my two cents. And I know I've uh, spoken many times about those in the context of parenting with the nurtured heart approach or um, couples communication through this emotionally focused therapy model. And again, uh, about to come out with a, a, a marriage course that is going to address a lot of these things. All right. I have rambled. Um I hope this has been a a helpful episode. It has helped me from a standpoint of what clutter can do uh, to kind of just bring the, it brings those stress levels up in our brain and we want to kind of lower those stress levels so we can be more attentive, more present, more positive in all of the things that we do. All right. Have a wonderful week and I will see you next time on the virtual couch. Um, Taking us away, Aurora Florence. It's wonderful. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost are floating past the midnight hour. They push aside the things that matter most. Discount.